Welcome to a podcast on fire on Funeral March and always on my mind. So welcome to Melodrama Season Episode 2 out of 3. This is a weepy series, if you will. We've run across tropes in the series already. Mainly uh, the one dealing with terminal disease, whether it happens to a man or a woman. But what happens when you structure it around finding the strength and will to live uh, that's also surrounded by genuinely life-affirming atmosphere? Well, you get Joe Ma's Funeral March from 2001. Grim title, but it's actually a, a positive film. Uh, starring one of the twins. Also, Michael Hoy gets cancer, meets Sidney Lumet's, uh, Lumet's or Lumet's network in Jacob Chung's Always On My Mind from 1993. I could only make that reference now because I watched Network for the first time this year. So I can ah, I can see where they're, where they're prob- probably drawing inspiration. Uh, so that's it. And uh, I'm Kenny B. And uh, with me making his grand return after uh, a little bit of hiatus. But uh, we're always connecting in some shape or form on social media. But nevertheless, that man is the the man with the gig guide. And the man with uh, the Hong Kong travel plans always spinning in his head. And it is Hong Kong Dave. Say hi, buddy. Hello. Good to be back. Like Dave likes multiple genres. But I just had a, had a feeling that. He'll probably like this. Uh, this weepies. He's a grown man. He, he can cry if he likes. You know, no, no one's gonna <laughs> yeah, <for sure>. taunt <laughs> him for it. Uh, so uh, good to have you on, my friend. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll do this in a little bit reversed order in terms of plugging. Are uh, still doing the the Facebook um, event uh, page, uh, Hong Kong Gig Guide uh, nowadays? Yeah, for now. I'm actually uh, in the process of uh, finishing it up. Um, I'm coinciding it with a, a trip to Hong Kong at the beginning of the next month. When I started to think that maybe I'd uh, done all that I could, the right way to, to do it would be to finish it while I was there and I can uh, make it a proper sort of a kind of farewell. There are plans that aren't yet public knowledge. They involve, they don't involve me. Right, right. They, they involve the, the future of the page. So. Well, it's certainly, uh, you've not been a slacker throughout the years. You've been very... Um proactive uh, promoting uh, local bands uh, and uh, local events and uh, you know doing it once is a great thing on its own but you've kept doing it and obviously I think you've received some kudos throughout the years from bands you know uh, over social media or uh, or eye to eye when you when you've been over to Hong Kong so uh, you know no one would blame you for you for so to say packing it in it's a a little bit of a legacy you've established my friend it was when i was considering it i thought if i do it you know if i go i was planning a trip anyway but i thought if i go there and you know i don't say anything about it i thought that was being kind of dishonest it felt truer to me and you know and uh more honest just to to be there and just say uh you know i think i've done what i can it's you know it's time for someone else and it's not like you're the sole one who want to promote local music, so there's always people around. But uh, I suppose the, the Western perspective on it all has always been appreciated, so I hope it lives on in some shape or form. And uh, it's not like you dislike the music anyway, so you, no. you're, you're happy to, you know, personally promote anything. So, um, yeah. so it's all win-win. At the time of recording, it is late April, so when are you going over to Hong Kong and hitting the humidity head-on, I guess? <laughs> I arrived there on the, on the 2nd of May. I'm there for just about, just shy of three weeks. 
you're, you're almost <laughs> this is me going deep cuts in the podcasting uh, po- podcasting here you you should have gone on the first of may to sort of celebrate that you and i did a show on a movie that used the song first of may as its lead <laughs> theme yesterday yeah. uh, yesterday yesterday me yesterday yes to you yesterday yesterday yes that's the last thing i did wasn't it i think uh may, well well maybe not last because we concluded that series that uh yeah. free uh, so uh, uh it was a few years ago regardless but uh but uh, it was a little a hot uh, wrenching song for me used across those three movies and that um that actor from those movies uh, john tang uh, turns up in one of the movies today did you notice that uh, i didn't actually that. he's the son of uh, michael hoyes in always on my mind that's little john tang uh, just like, oh, wow. like, like the same year <laughs> before he did those three movies uh, yeah uh, including one for for the director of Always on My Mind, he directed the third one in that uh, banana yeah, did, yeah. banana ripening trilogy. It was dubbed this uh, movie said that was essentially the Wonder Years set in Hong Kong, so people get a feel for it. So that that was John Tang because I I knew I recognized him and then I had the cast list. John Dang, Dang Tang, John Tang, that must be him. Holy holy hell, it is him. Uh, so, so yeah, little connection there for you, a little history from uh, from you and I. And uh, but uh, we'll link to Hong Kong Gig Guide regardless, and the rest of the contact information goes as follows: This is Podcast on Fire, and it's mellow drama season. Uh, we are located on podcastonfire.com, along with all our other shows on uh, Japanese cinema, Korean cinema, ninja cinema. Well, the ninja one is concluding this year because we've uh, we've done enough, I think. Um, but regardless, it will be up there and there's plenty of choices for you, including bonus episodes that we produce every now and again. Email us if you have any questions or feedback. So what's your favorite uh, you know, emotional and um, touching Hong Kong movie? What Hong Kong movies made you cry? Let, let us know. Podcast on fire at googlemail.com. Hit us up on social media. We have handy buttons at the top of our website, first leading to our Facebook page. So, so leave a like in support. And uh, once you're on Facebook, why not uh, look us up uh, in the form of our discussion group? Uh, it's called Podcast on Fire Network, and uh, we post show updates and have uh, discussions and what have you over there. And you can also click the Twitter button to reach our Twitter feed. Click the iTunes button to subscribe to us on iTunes. And once uh, you're there, if you fancy having your podcasts delivered to you that way, leave a star rating honest star rating and then honest uh, written comment if you have the time we would very much appreciate that and finally click the stitcher radio button that leads you to their website where you can stream all of our shows but the smoothest way to stream us is uh, on the go and that you can do via the applications available on the apple app store and google play and I write about the variety of Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies over at SoGoodReviews.com. Weepies or not. They're the weepies, they're sleazies, they're ninjas, <laughs> if there's such a thing. Like I, I do I, I do them all. I'll do, I, I do all the ears over at SoGoodReviews.com. And I post uh, basic spoken audio video reviews that won't rival any video reviewer out there uh, at SleazyKVideo.com. It's just a... Uh, that's the extent of my knowledge of uh, producing video content, but it's available anyway. And I tweet at that. So good reviews. So, yep, we'll do a musical break. We're not we're not doing promos for this series because uh, there's a quite distinctive uh, and uh, iconic uh, music across these movies. I thought uh, as a mood setter, I'll f- just feature m- music snippets from the movies. And um, the song from Funeral Mart is... Uh, I-, I can't... Sw- you know, swear on my life that it is Ethan Chan that sings um, one of the songs that feature uh, fairly prominently in Funeral March. But regardless, it's a nice little, nice little acoustic number rather than this overproduced canto pop ballad. So, I think it might well be him. 
it does I've seen him in concert once. It does sound like his his voice. Yeah, there's a there's a song for the end credits that isn't him. Uh, it might have even been in Mandarin, but but this song is earlier in the in the movie, and it's also um, in the trailer. And um, so, so I was sort of half assumed it was Ethan. It's certainly not Charlene. Obviously, she she apparently did not do a song like like who knows in the twins' history of things that they weren't uh, maybe allowed to do solo ventures just yet. They they like maybe the contracts were like you have twins, you, you can't do anything uh, independently um, in terms of uh, singing. Who knows? But uh, uh, she she was uh, it was one of her first lead roles, Charlene Joy. So it's uh, very early on in uh, two thousand and one. But regardless, we'll uh, continue the the chatter after a musical break uh, and. Uh, that uh, then we'll discuss Funeral March from 2001. So sit tight and we'll be back. And welcome back in the first review of Melodrama Season 2 out of 3 is Funeral March from 2001, a plot from the Love HK film review of the film. Eason Chan plays Duan, a young funeral director who's hired by Yi, who's played by Charlene Choi of the pop group Twins. And he's hired by her to plan a funeral, namely hers. She has intestinal cancer and anticipates her death despite the fact that she still has some chance of living. Duan agrees to help her with her funeral, but ends up spending just as much time encouraging her to live. Uh, we might have done this back in the day, but regardless, Dave, let's uh, just establish some brief opinions first of all. So uh, what's your brief uh, take, uh, like or dislike, for Funeral March? There's a good deal to like, but ultimately for me, I think the story kind of asks too much of the filmmakers and the uh, yeah and the actors and and the audience too really for it to be considered an a, an an unqualified success it's good but it's just it asks kind of too much well we'll 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 keep a lid on it for now and you you can elaborate on that in the, uh, the review uh, it certainly doesn't break any new ground but i think uh, joe Mars restrained uh, direction um it, it, you know, leads into for me anyway, like, like a fairly emotionally rich theme of finding, you know, the strength to live, how tragedy can set us on a different actual positive path, and you know that pays off. I was affected by that, and it's not overly manipulative, uh, but do expect to get an emotional workout unless you're a robot or something. Then, then uh, you're only dead inside. <laughs> uh, there's some slight niggles uh, in terms of uh, the uses of usage of uh, music for a stretch in the movie, but uh, I, I think it picks up by the end um, when it all uh, sort of comes to an emotional, emotional um, conclusion. And and I think the the young actors are are, are doing well considering uh, they're uh, some of them are very new to movie movie screens and so forth. Uh, and what I should state uh, before we go go any further that uh, this review, as will the others in the series, they will contain spoilers. And the reason why versus because we normally don't do spoilers, um, at least not intentionally. I, I think it's important to judge emotional and dramatic content, uh, including how it all ends and uh, if that is affecting or not so uh, so just uh, let uh, open the floodgates in terms of uh, spoilers uh, 
I, I don't don't know if you're like spontaneously like aware of uh, you know Joe Ma's profile as producer and director on the scene, but uh, couldn't really count on him as a director based on most evidence out there, because uh, there are a few good movies, but but certainly you know when you have a director behind such movies as Feel One Hundred Percent, Dummy Mummy Without a Baby, I hate that title <laughs> so much, and the Love Undercover movies, which were successful, mind you, you know he he didn't intend to aim for drama, it seems. But he certainly is talented as a director. He, um, this one is a confirmation for me on that. Uh, his one of his first, his first movie we reviewed that Over the Rainbow Under the Skirt, which is the second movie in that Banana Ripening uh, trilogy. Comedy and drama and playful comedy versus drama. That, that that was there. But as a producer, I thought he had some class and probably still do to an extent. Uh, producing early Wilson Yip movies such as Juliet in Love, Biozombie. Uh, Glass Tears for um, a female director, Carol Lai, I believe, which was one of Lolit's last uh, movies before he passed away. He produced Love Battlefield for Soi Chang, so he can produce quality, but as director, uh, until Funeral March came along, I was a bit like, well, he, he likes fluff, and, and that's fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts on that, uh, Joma, producer versus director, if you have any, any spontaneous thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's um, not a director that you immediately think of and, you know, associate with sort of, you know, you don't think of him as, as one of the great, you know, Hong Kong directors. He had his own kind of, uh, he had his own niche. And I mean, I hadn't film, seen Funeral March in so long. It's a genuine surprise to realise it actually was a Joe Ma film. Because mm-hmm. I was thinking of all those kind of, uh, like, kind of romantic comedies, you know, from the sort of mid-90s, kind of through, you know, the mid-noughties, where he was knocking knocking out about two films a year, seemingly, for like 10 years. But yeah, I was, I was a real surprise to actually realise that it was one of his films. But yeah, I mean, like you say, he certainly had a hand as a producer in, the, you know, some, some quality work. So, you know. If I saw, and it usually comes before, uh, a credit like that produced by, usually comes before directed by. And and if I saw a produ- produced by Joe Ma, this is a story that he, he could totally do. Um, but, but, you know, to add that, he co- co-produced this with uh, Gordon Chan, I believe. Um, yeah. But, but to have him as a director, and, and, and as we'll discuss, I'm sure, to see that this is, um, you know, de- de- depending on the viewer you are, of course, but de- to see that this is so, sort of thoughtful and restrained rather than uh, fluffy is uh, was, uh, you know, br- brightened my life a little bit, I suppose. Yeah. I don't think there's too much in his uh, in his output that you can, you know, put on the same kind of, you know, in the same kind of category as this. It's, he had his kind of... The Lion Roars, man. Classic, no. no not really. <laughs> that, that was much more his kind of pace as a, yes, in terms of being a director. He, he, you know, wasn't afraid to tackle something that wasn't not necessarily his sort of comfort zone, so... No, I mean, in, and if anything, uh, what's more compelling is uh, the work from his debut leading into... Um, yeah, the new millennium because they, they contain a little bit more um, switch up in genres. I I don't remember much from it, but I do uh, I did remember enjoying his movie The Golden Girls, which is um, it's a period effort. It's partly set around the film industry, so uh, it's got some cool sh- shit in there. Louching one, yes, Louching one, Anita Yoon, and f- 
Francis mm, playing a, a movie star of sorts that appears in this like one-armed swordsman sort of rip-off so they do a sequence <laughs> uh, akin to that which is all amusing man and uh, Over the Rainbow Under the Skirt wasn't his first movie by the way he directed a movie called Rich Man in 1992 but um, but feel 100% and all that crap I mean uh, you know <laughs> it, it's fluff I get it but I, I wasn't really entertained by it and feel 100% once more like where do we go with feel 100% well 101 don't be stupid <laughs> once more so yeah Uh, but but, uh, feel feel 100% too in 2001 so now they're confusing us uh, to heck but uh, uh, in terms of the stars uh, Ethan and Charlene as actors is there anything uh, spontaneous you want to say looking back on their careers around this time and where where they've gone especially her now that she's um, a bit more mature as an actress it was pretty early days for both of them really they hadn't neither of them had, had done too much at this point. Ethan is generally still doing fairly small kind of like cameos, and but I mean, I I do, I do generally enjoy him as an actor. I mean, he's he's really, uh, in terms of his performances, really really in, 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 disappointing. Um, I don't know that he's really had like a single performance, you know, you could consider like a signature performance. But... No, not really. I mean, the, the the more solid movies are the likes of mm. Love Battlefield, the Pie Dog and what have you. Yeah. Uh, but they're, he's certainly not, um, you know, he, he's not this uh, like, whoa, presence. Like, like he hasn't broken out like that. He, he's still, all, he's still very, very solid as always been, but he, he's never tackled everything uh, uh, as such. And uh, it seems like he's slowing down his movie work as well. So, so I haven't followed it extensively. I mean, appearing in a variety of, you know, good movies doesn't signal that now he's crafting a movie presence that is gonna take off like crazy. I mean, he's he's always been solid and continues to be solid, but but it seems like he enjoys mixing both his career careers because I assume he still sings. Uh, that he has yeah, uh, yeah. He, he has name recognition, so he can go on um, stadium tours and uh, things like that. Uh, yeah, uh, but you know, and, and and based on all the evidence that that I've seen, uh, I, I still think funeral march is uh, where they uh, so someone started to tailor more of a character for him. You know, um, so uh, we'll get into that. Do you ever see um, Sarah with uh, Charlie Choi? I mean, uh, talking of recent performances where she's taken a step up maturity wise and and choosing more like ex- um, explicit roles in that case. I've not seen that one. Um... In this film, I mean, again, it's it's like a second or third film, I think. But you can rank it amongst the sort of the top end of of, uh, of what she's done. I mean, you know, across the whole of her career. But she's she's gen- genuinely talented, I think. But doesn't always, I think, get sort of challenged by yeah. the scripts or the you know the directors that she works with, and kind of gives kind of something of a, a default performance, but you know, I mean, you can look through throughout the films that she's done and kind of see, you know, when you know there's been more challenging material or a more challenging sort of director. Sharon, she's clearly capable of of, uh, of 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 much more than you know you might sort of typically see. I mean, you mentioned uh, Sarah just then. It's going back, yeah, you know, a few years, but yeah, you know, even uh, kind of a romantic uh, kind of comedy like uh, Good Times, Bad Times. I mean, she's in, she's in the cast with sort of Sammy Ching, Louis Koo, Lao Ching Wan. So, you know, you kind of got to, you know, up your game when you're in the same film with, you know, people that can do that kind of thing 
Yeah, yeah, she could bring energy, but it's, yeah. you know, sometimes when a little overboard or when directors yeah. aren't reeling it in. But they, she, that movie is a good example because I remember it being a little bit, um, a little bit more sexually frank than most yeah. uh, rom- romantic comedies. So she was. Um, she did the uh, film with. Uh, it's one one of the Pang brothers. It may, may have been may have been Danny. Leave me alone. That was. Uh, I mean, that, I mean, that's a good ten years plus back now. But that was sort of a. Uh, a relatively early indication that you know, given the material that had sort of a little more to it, a director maybe asks a bit more of her so she can uh, certainly raise her performance. Well, that is a good point because I I think some of these pop stars slash actors, when given a chance, they do indeed bring something. They're not hired for image only. Which is uh, just nice to see that they're able to, uh, even if they're in their early stages of the career and the, and the work is maybe a little bit rough around the edges, but there, there is a, a sincerity there and a willingness to work. And I think it shows up in Funeral March for, for both of them. As we get into the movie, obviously, Ethan Chan's character is this funeral director and we he's never preachy as such. And the movie might appear that way, but he's never preachy as such. But he is, you know, adhering to traditions about letting spirits go and how you mentally prepare yourself for that and how you mentally execute that to make sure spirits are let go i mean sorrow is sorrow tragedy is tragedy but it's important to also put a brave face on it and say goodbye properly you know to, to adhere to traditions even though i don't know chinese or asian funeral traditions but uh, he is you know a good person like that but he's also performing his duties you know around the ceremony and what i was impressed by sort of uh, in the beginning stages is and we're talking about the scene where Ethan Chan and Charlie Choi appear in together for the first time um that Joe Ma isn't um, dumping exposition on us he's uh, not even dumping that much dialogue on us um, there's a fair amount of quiet passages as Charlie Choi just observes Ethan Chan performing his duties around the funeral parlor uh, it's one of those um ceremonies that, that you see in movies where people are announced when they come in like uh, yeah. the mourner is here and then you go up to uh, to the altar and bow three times you bow to a family and then you put incense on the um, on the thing and i kind of like that it's not um, like we don't have voiceover we don't have we don't know from frame one that she's sick and uh, even when they sit down together um, where she lays it all out it's not terribly you know lively yeah the little bit in that scene where she's just observing him as he's kind of going back and forth. I think he's like, uh, he's correcting uh, the text on one of the sort of, um, on one of the floral arrangements. He's like, he's, he's correcting one of the Chinese characters. Mm-hmm. And he, he just kind of brings it out and he's kind of just kind of stables it onto it to, you know, to correct it. And it's sort of, you know, like saying, it's non-verbal, but it's a nice little kind of sort of detail of the, of the character mm-hmm. and, and without being uh, like abstract in art house that's not the restraint that Joe Ma is going for or anything like non-verbal and ooh I'm making art uh, it's not Wong Kar Wai that's what I'm saying I'm being, I'm being judgmental again but you know I'm <laughs> making a point it's just a nice way of sort of you know demonstrating the uh, you know the character it's just a little sort of that you would sort of you know care sort of that much to sort of correct one 
Chinese character on this on this on this sort of banner that's across the middle of this floral arrangement, you know. So so it's, you know, like an attention to detail. It's nice. A lot of, even if not that, f- feeds into what we find out at the end of the movie. Obviously, again, we're spoiling it that we we know by you know three fourths in that uh, Ethan Chan's character has terminal cancer himself so you know the second viewings and uh, subsequent viewings you're reminded of things that he does that probably feeds into the fact that he has not as much time left to live but you know thankfully for me anyway i mean i'm curious to hear your thoughts but thankfully for me anyway he's not portrayed as this uh you know, I gotta go out and see the world type of character and running around in fields in sunshine and smiling at the sun with his hands out. No, he's performing his duties and helping out where he can, including in um, in, in the case of choice character Yi. And I think Ethan looks comfortable. He is this soothing, calm professional, but he, he, he is human, obviously, too. So he needs to have that tone in him in order to serve. But um, he, the human in him and uh, the intelligence in him, I think, uh, as as it sort of spins inside of him, that well, how do I, where do I go from now with her, or so, someone who's given up clearly, like what can be done, and and me speaking about it, that's not because he speaks about it. What what that speaks to is Joe Myers keeping, you know, he's reserved. Is something doesn't need to be said because they're pretty clear if you're interested in the story anyway, um, and. That's, you know, not revolutionary competence, but I think it's a, it's a nice competence and like confidence, uh, telling it straight, matter of fact, but also fairly reserved and um, and, and all of that. And ne- ne- nothing of this, I don't know what you think, feels like star vehicle, superstar vehicle, look at the stars and how they're being in the vehicle. <laughs> you know, it, it feel, for, to me it feels like, well, these are actors. These are the characters. Let's hopefully engage in them, you know. Or what do you think? Uh, is there a star aura around these two as, as you see them act? In in other films, kind of, maybe. But in this, they are giving the performances um, that this story warrants. They're not sort of, uh, you know, they're not going in, going into scenes trying to take the attention or to, or to sort of, you know, blow everyone out of the water. They're sort of, you know, they're serving the story. You know, they're doing they're doing the sort of, you know, the right thing, so to speak. Yeah, even superstars do that. I mean, mm. you know, Andy Lau has done one of these uh, type of movies, maybe multiple, but the, the, there's a movie called What a Wonderful World that he was in where um, him and Teresa Lee uh, were in that one. And yeah, I mean, he's 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 a good actor, so it's not like he distracts the rest of the people in the movie by being being there because he's not coming in there to like act like Andy Lau, like, hey, 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 I'm here. <laughs> you know, do you know I can sing as well? <laughs> you know, so they squeeze in an uh, unwarranted MV or it, it's not, uh, so, certainly not like that. The older these people get, the more they think about acting, I think. Um, and and some commercial vehicles, vehicles, of course. The movie does make me think anyway, oh, it's such a cliched thing to say, but how would I handle a diagnosis like that? You know, mm. thankfully I've not... Uh, had that in my life either for, yeah. for me or, or loved ones but uh, you know some people do choose to hide their illness and deal with it within themselves because you know it's it's not not something that's you can just stand up well i'm gonna fight now it wrecks you to uh, to get a to get a diagnosis like that and you deal with it within yourself or within a closed mm. circle so for for me, d- dramatically, there is that interest of how is Ethan Chang going to break through to her? In what way? And um, the the psychological games he uses, which are not mind games, they're just 
psychological ways that um, you know charming. He is reserved, but he can be charming. He can be disarming, and obviously the scene where he uh, is asking her to uh, take her pills and she doesn't want yeah. to because pr- probably those pills are like uh, just makes her feel horrible they're, they're, they're strong pills but uh, and, and he uh, instead puts them in ice cream and uh, just sort of um, he, well well he pops them the, uh, himself too uh, which probably is good for him too because he, he's gonna diagnose this too but um, she doesn't know that uh, it's a lasting memory for me that scene uh, when thinking back of how restrained the movie can be because that scene is not like them uh, verbally arguing with each other. They they're just sort of like broad ice cream, and then he puts the uh, the pills in the ice cream, and and then he leaves. And I, I loved a little bit where Charlie enjoy like a kid. She she has decided she doesn't want the ice cream, but then she sort of looks looks at it and then <laughs> takes a little bit on her finger like, yeah, that was good. Well. <laughs> Maybe I'll take the ice cream. Uh, what do you think of that stuff? Is is, is that uh, like too little or too much for the movie? Uh, to uh, or, or does John Mar do something like uh, like like restrain? Con- like, like considering Hong Kong filmmakers are not usually restrained when it comes to melodrama. Uh, what does this scene sort of uh, place us in? Is is like too much or too little? No, that's 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 a nice little kind of. Uh way of handling because you know you, you've seen that kind of thing in films plenty before you know lots of times before where they're trying to you know someone doesn't want to take their sort of medication you know uh, usually you know it might be a big sort of uh drama about it a big sort of farce but it's a, you know it's a nice kind of uh low-key kind of quite sort of laid-back kind of scene it's just sort of quite it's quite even quite playful really you mm-hmm. know considering despite the sort of you know seriousness of the uh of the subject matter it's quite a nice you know just a, like a playful little scene just you know just the two sort of uh actors and you know and and and, and you know it's also about uh that these characters starts to get on a little bit like she, she never like hates him obviously but she isn't yeah. about to open up to him day one or anything just because uh he's a funeral director so it, it's it's a bit charming to see them smile to each other it just kind of shows the sort of development of the sort of you know the relationship between the characters it's definitely one of those scenes that kind of moves it along from being uh, you know employer employee almost to sort of you know there's like a you know like a friendship and then you know. because he certainly is employed and her family is rich too so mm, uh, he's yeah. um and, and they you know they probably normally do but you, you you do have a scene where they sign a contract and probably work out terms and things like that because you need to be sensitive about these things um Let's talk location work. It's not all set in Hong Kong, Dave. Where is it uh, otherwise mostly set? Considerable number of scenes in uh, New York. Indeed. And uh, location work is fun by default because I I like when Hong Kong movies go abroad. uh, But I'm usually used to, uh, unless it's like an autumn's tale or things like that, but I'm usually used to like these... Uh, low-budget action and gangster movies going abroad, whether uh, going to Hong, um, New York or Vancouver, and uh, occasionally they make a little trip over to the West Coast as well. It's a movie called Gates of Hell, shot in San Francisco. Uh, category three movie, very uh, quite dark. They, they didn't go abroad to shoot a sex movie, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, what's the point in that? Like we're having sex by the Golden Gate Bridge, ha! <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. So it, it's uh, it's meant to um, 
be a, a bit scarier location, if you will. But uh, it's nice to see it's captured well, but it's not done in a touristy kind of thing. I, I don't even think there's a shot of uh, the Statue of Liberty, for instance. Um, I mean, they, they're they probably at one of the bridges at one point because there's a scene at the harbour, so maybe the brook. I think as they're going into the into sort of Manhattan, I think it's, I want to say, I think the Manhattan Bridge. Yeah, maybe so. I asked our friend Jared if he recognized it, and I, I said to him, "You, you, because he he likes sort of to do location sort of um, spotting, being a New Yorker himself." So I, I said, "Like, do do a revisit of the movie." Well, uh, I mean, I was I was there myself about a year ago, and there's kind of two bridges pretty close to each other. One is kind of pedestrianized across the top, and you have cars underneath. I think that's Brooklyn Bridge, and I think the one that they come into one. Kind of next to that, which I, th- I think I think it's the Manhattan Bridge. I don't. Know. I don't know how the boroughs are uh, yeah. con- constructed as such, but um, it uh, certainly looks. Uh no, looks nice. Uh, would I, and yeah. and J- Joe Ma isn't there to like do sweeping shots of it all. Uh, one thing that isn't in the movie, but was uh, at the time of filming, was the uh, World Trade Center. The, this movie was presumably shot in the spring or summer of two thousand and one. Yeah. We- it would have been pretty close, I was thinking of that, actually, 2001, yeah. They they actually did catch some background shots of it, I presume, that were removed for the movie. Uh, I think it's digitally removed for the movie, because um, it was released late September, after all, this movie in Hong Kong, two weeks after 9-11. Uh, you can see these unaltered shots on the DVD, if you find it, because there are deleted scenes uh, without subtitles for us, though. But there are uh, deleted scenes where those um, special effects had not been... Uh, been applied and but but i don't remember those scenes being like look at us we're at the world trade center and let's have drama here now they 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 were just sort of part of the uh landscape and obviously they were uh, being in new york and all of that so uh, i don't blame the filmmakers for for removing that if you know if it doesn't matter if they're there or not and and you don't notice it when you watch the movie it's not like it's a crude um erase no no i mean I really, um, I couldn't quite place where they were staying, the, you know, the hotel or, or wherever it was they were staying in. But it looked like it overlooked Central Park, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, so. it was it was because you could see, you know, when they're on the sort of balcony outside, you could see there's you know, there's a large sort of expanse of kind of green there. Mm-hmm. That's that's a nice kind of uh, those, those shots off, you know, out from the balcony going across. Yeah, you know, they're not sort of typical kind of uh, you know you see a lot you know New York pictures are seen so many sort of TV programs and, and films, but you don't that's not one you know you don't always see those, those that kind of shot from you know from wherever they were just going across and you could kind of see some of the building you know some of the sort of notable kind of buildings in the background, but the, the great sort of you know uh, you know the, the sort of park sort of spread out sort of under underneath the building where they were it's just no, it's just it's just, just kind of it's a shot I really sort of liked. I it, it's it like a diagonal shot of it that you, yeah. oh yeah, that's that's probably the park, but let's look at the scene instead. Yeah, it's kind of from a, like a corner going across. Isn't yeah, it? exactly. Uh, looks like a beautiful building, whether it's a hotel or not. Uh, I really have to compliment uh, the direction and Charlie Choi on uh, the again on the female restraint and uh, tempered, I suppose. Um, the graveyard scene where because her mother is buried in New York. Uh, you see Charlene, you know, put flowers down and then you get emotional, obviously, uh, visiting your mother and all of that. It's been a few years, but still. And Joma isn't asking uh, Charlene to uh, face the camera doing this. He shoots her 
from the back, mostly anyway, uh, at the start of the scene. And not in this like crying fit, but you see her move her body and, you know, twitch a little bit, suggesting that she's feeling emotional looking at uh, Mm. her mother's gravestone. I think those are strong moments to suggest emotional content a little bit. It's more real. It's not queued up like a movie moment or anything. Yeah. Uh, which I appreciate it. It's shot with a little bit more realistic uh, touches. And, uh, you know, you, you don't need tears in order to confirm that you're into the moment. You, you can uh, do subtle mo- movements and uh, be shot a certain way. So so your eyes isn't, like, speaking to us in terms of, like, these are the beats now, and now it's emotional, now it's manipulative. It's all... For me, it's very natural. It's all very... flows very well. Like, even... Uh, talky scenes at the cafe after this scene where where they just all, all the people that are there uh, with her it's not just Ethan and uh, and Charlie they, they don't drop exposition dumps like unnaturally because at one point she asks him well how long have you been uh, have you been doing this as a career the funeral being a funeral director and that's not where the moment stop uh, movie stops and explains to us it's just people talking uh, having having coffee at the cafe and talking that natural flavor to the movie is something um, I quite um, uh, I quite enjoy and still respond to, uh, and, and and all of this is pre any huge emotional content. I should say it's in the movie is clicking and moving along. At uh, we know what's going on, but it's not uh, pushing emotional content onto us like constantly or anything. It's, it's building up to it. Obviously, we haven't yet found out that Ethan Chan is actually sick too. But uh, let me ask you: uh, if, we, if we track back to that, um, that quick opinion, where, where is what is it you think the movie asks that it doesn't fully answer or can't respond to? Probably some of it's probably on me. I mean, I was a no, no, bit... put, it, oh, put it on the movie. Blame the yeah. movie. <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably me being a bit a bit dense, but I, I wasn't. Uh, it's been I'd seen it before, but it's been so many years since I'd uh, seen it. Um, I hadn't really picked up on the fact that he was. He was had cancer too. When there was that reveal, I was kind of going along with with her story, mm-hmm. and when and when that was introduced, I, I mean, I couldn't sort of. Uh, it was like a yeah, you know, it was like a big kind of lurch to me. I couldn't sort of process that as well as her, his story as well as her story at the same same time. I was like, I'd gotten used and was into kind of her sort of journey where it kind of pulled me out of this where i kind of was following emotionally which is kind of her, her story and where she was going but well well it is structurally li- like this and, and a little bit of like uh, pulling out the rug from underneath mm. us but uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and, and i totally get that we, we we're not supposed to know until the movie plainly says so uh like yeah. the, if you've seen it before that there's hints of it uh um, you know, eccentric behavior like uh, buying the perfume and then spraying the perfume on as he walks across uh, store store windows, which you think th- think like is uh, there's a shitty thing to do, like what a vandal. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it's it's like it, it's not pretentious, but it's probably in, in his mind, it's enjoying you know the moments. You know, thinking about it now, I'm you're saying like some of this sort of uh, you know seemingly sort of you know eccentric things like that and you think now you know now i'm kind of thinking back and you kind of you know there was something else there it wasn't it was you know in some respects it's just you know just me not picking up on them no no no, no but it, it, they're not they're not moments uh, they're designed to be uh, well well that moment makes you sort of like oh 
well yeah. maybe it pay off, pays off who knows he did maybe he just likes being a vandal who knows but 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 like when he carries her into the hospital himself like at one point she doesn't want to go into the hospital she says and it's very poignant when she does if i go in i'll never come out so i, I don't want to go in and he says well we gotta respect that and let's just go and then he picks her up and uh, carries her into the hospital while they're in New York and uh, he uh, gets fatigued afterwards which isn't a clear cut moment because it might just be that not that she's heavy but carrying a human being uh, would be would be something you'd be fatigued because of he is probably more fatigued because he's he's weak you know and he's choosing not to uh, continue his treatment which is uh, you know, it's that structure thing. Well, how can he ask that of her if he doesn't uh, accept it himself? You know, and there are discussion points rather than uh, crappy characteristics, I think, because you don't know how, how you would want to um, be treated. I mean, again, uh, I, I'm no authority on how, you know, someone going through cancer, what they, what they experience, but in so, sometimes people might think, why prolong something that's, has a sort of an expiration thing hovering over it anyway, so why even go through treatment? So it might play into that without the movie explicitly saying so. Um, and I think being a, a a melodrama of this kind, it's almost a trope. I think to um, to you know at least one needs to be sick and die, and when you realize yeah, that yeah. she doesn't, you know at least because she has the operation, everything seems great, and there is even a romance brewing, even though he tries to deflect that because he feels a little bit uncomfortable heading into that, and and that by the way I think is a, a fairly enjoyable um, connection because because she says like there's no reason why we shouldn't because we we like being there for each other and being a life belt for each other as she says and why should we let that go so why not you know go the romantic route even though the dialogue is way better than that but uh, it's almost like if you know your tropes and if she doesn't die probably someone else will yeah uh, so yeah. Like, like here but it's not for me it's not sloppily inserted into it because for me and i'm not saying you're wrong by the way not at all for me it feeds into the positivity of the movie that he he certainly left his mark on people and um, wanted to, to die with dignity, doing what he loved. And uh, when he couldn't do that anymore, at least, you know, go out dignified and uh, not suffering, you know, for an extra few months. Uh, because he, he, in the movie, it seems to go fast. Um, like he... You know, for his sort of character, he's made his, uh, he's made his decision, spends his time uh, that he has left sort of helping helping her and helping helping others you know it's quite you know it's very sort of noble uh noble thing to do you know is uh what he wants to do with the time that he has left is be of uh of real service to to others who are, who are suffering and 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 also i mean if you you can you can think of this as something from in life too that how people deal with tragedy might act as a catalyst for how those left behind move on you know if yeah. you if you if you infuse it with some 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 kind of key words in words like it's okay it's okay I've, uh, and they, if you try and be honest and human and emotional as much as you like but also realize that if you can have a dignified sort of um and and, and it all sounds like the movie's painting this rose pretty rose picture of uh, terminal disease but but i think that there there's positivity to be taken from 
what you experience with someone as they unfortunately uh, go towards their expiration date, so to say. And uh, I think that's a point of the movie that it's not all doom and gloom, even though it's mightily sad, yeah. too. Um, and a movie needs to execute that, of course. As an idea, that's mightily clever as well. That 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 that's a valid train of thought, regardless of what you do. But for for me, Joe Ma, thankfully, is you know, is this unexpectedly competent director actually conveying that? Uh, because it could have been cloying, man. If he had no handle on melodrama and would have pushed the melodrama up to like rampant levels of you know crying and crying and crying and screaming, that like heartfelt, worthwhile, positive message within tragedy might have just petered out man it could have gone so wrong he could have been clever at, at having an idea but it could have gone so wrong and i think for me yeah. the key was to keep it keep, keep the tempo low keep the temperature a bit low as well and don't go overboard with uh, with emotional content there, yeah. there is a case for being um taking it slow a little bit. yeah true when it gets really emotional, obviously, uh, when, uh, you know, we have, uh, you know, it was funny, by the way, uh, uh, veteran actor Liu Kai-Chi is in this movie. Yeah, right? he's in it, yeah. And you think <laughs> to yourself, he's in, and in the beginning, and then he fucks off for a good 80 minutes. Like, <laughs> okay, that was a glorified cameo, wasn't it? <laughs> like, yeah. I am here in the background, Liu Kai-Chi, nominate me for an award. I'm supporting actor, <laughs> I'm here. He comes back, obviously, he's uh, one of the Eastern Chan's friends, and I think he um, he gets probably the best emotional beat i think and again we're spoiling this obviously but uh, i i do like um, when eason chan's character has died during the night and uh, s- several people have slept by his uh, by his side including his friend charlie Choi, her stepmother yeah. uh i don't think the kenneth sang's character stayed there in the room and sleeping uh, with them but uh, i think he was present and, and the nurse sees that eason chan has passed away looks at the time taps Lukachi to wake him up and professionally obviously says that uh, the patient has died. And Lukachi, I mean, uh, that's a moment where you earn your nomination when... Uh, <laughs> but but it's not typical crying scenes. It's just him, his friend has died. Obviously, you would react. I think he realistically breaks down, if I'm being honest. Like, that that, that seems like more of a realistic moment rather than movie mo- moment. And the score isn't uh, trying to take us out of the moment either there are other scenes earlier i i, I mentioned this not emotional scenes but the, there are scenes where the score is way too fast for the content on screen someone pitched not pitched but just played played the damn thing too fast and the scenes are the the dialogue in the scenes and the content of the scene and how it moves that doesn't respond to the score at all so i thought like like, calm down joma joma really really i get back get back on track and then and finally he did because the movie syncs up you know orally and visually there's definitely points where the soundtrack was somewhat intrusive it was it was a bit over loud or a bit you know like you're saying a bit fast it was it's kind of jarred slightly you know, it's the last 15 minutes or so that's the most emotionally charged. So did you think um, Joe Ma, or rather, how did you think Joe Ma walked that balance between not doing too little, not doing too much, as people have a variety of crime scenes, as a matter of fact? It was the bit wet that was difficult for me, at least. But it was, I couldn't say that it wasn't consistent with the rest of the film. That You know, there has a kind of... A, um, it's kind of less is more it's in some respects it's it's very hong kong it's very in its subtlety it's that's relatively rare a lot of these kinds of films they really go 
go way way over the top yeah i mean i mean we won't spoil it here we spoil it in the episode we talk about all about that long and if you remember how that ended that's just punishing like you read about uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the racing end and all of that like come on like, yeah. I, I, I can deal with tragedy but you didn't need to go that far you didn't yeah. you need to make, make the whole damn thing explode like you did <laughs> there's not a whole load of local films that you know work with sort of similar uh, su- subject matter that they do it in the same way you know well, the, the granddaddy that, that probably everybody should be inspired by is probably uh, Celavi Moncherie to a degree, because yeah. that is also, I mean, it's sad, but it never goes overboard. And uh, and it's also, it, it could have, because you got an Anita Hyun that's like this spunky, upbeat character. But <laughs> yeah. but but there, there's a reason for that. You know, sometimes Anita Hyun, when left her own device, it, is, uh, device it's, it seems like to me, really just did Anita Yun stick, and that wasn't good enough at all times. But uh, Derek E realized where he was going with, with her, and obviously that was uh, my, mightily rewarded too. It's fa- fairly common knowledge that that's one of my sort of uh, favorite films. So uh, I won't start going on about that, otherwise we'll, we'll, uh, we'll change the podcast and we'll, we'll spoil the other episodes. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a well-deserved uh, watch, all right. Uh, but oh, yeah. uh, I, g- very good point on, on on the subtlety of the all. But it's uh, just Im- it wrecks you emotionally. But you, f- for me, uh, funeral march. That is, you know, I, I took away the fact that he he wasn't um, a useless character. Obviously, he was a working a character that worked for a living and uh, p- passionately did so. But also, again, it sounds corny, but I don't care. But also brought something that makes tragedy you know bearable and there are scenes and shots that hammer that home quite not hammer but they, they, it solidifies that in a super solid way i mean the ending shots with charlie and Choi, you realize that not all is not all is crap you know I, you can move on it's not like she like well he died so i don't want to live again it's not like she he went there and went bleak on us um and even the funeral scene obviously where where one of his wishes was that everyone should walk past the casket and do a silly face and <laughs> some can and some can't and that's understandable i mean you you wouldn't expect kenneth sang you know the stern father to do a face yeah. but he, he isn't a he isn't a, a, a vile character obviously but um that specific scene's a very sort of uh a, a good example of of what it the film does get sort of very right because that's the wager that's pretty much entirely how it would be you know some people could would be able to do that and kind of happily and other people would just be overcome they wouldn't be able to you know they wouldn't be able to handle it and that's yeah. you know they they show it in all likelihood exactly how that so you know would happen for real I, I agree very much i only have a few minor 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 notes uh, just uh, some random observations uh, uh and that will take like a minute so i'm um, i'm gonna throw throw back over to you anything else you want to mention about the movie whether beginning middle or end there's uh, a lot to like Talking about it now, I'm probably, I probably you know, want to watch it again to sort of, you know, to to give it another another chance. But... Yeah, maybe you, yeah, I'm not trying to convert you, obviously, but maybe being more aware of structure, yeah, uh, might make you view the movie uh, differently because you, you you have you have a good point. It might seem like it becomes too packed to introduce like the new element by the hour mark that someone is going to die but for, for me that, that didn't feel packed because it uh, i expected it because it's a trope um it would have been nice to see everyone live of course <laughs> but, uh, 
I think I I just sort of I invested in in her story and and how that was unfolding. I, I I couldn't sort of adjust to sort of take on kind of you know his his character and uh, you know his mm. his story. I I'd sort of I'd invested in her and I couldn't I couldn't sort of adjust to sort of yeah. Uh, but again, it's it's one of those. I think it might sort of uh, you know a, another sort of another viewing or. Repeated viewings, you know, would sort of get a sort of a, a different appreciation of it. It's easy ninety-seven minutes to to squeeze in if you like it. Yeah. In, in the future, I, I mentioned Kenneth Tsang, um, and I, I like that this his part, which isn't extensive, but I think he brings more than solid uh, touches. He, he's not this totally absentee businessman father with now a stepmother as as to Charlie Joyce character as uh, as his wife. And he has some nice little veteran reactions. There's a scene where he's told live on the phone or in person that his daughter is now finally happier, you know. And even that, and it's a second. And but I, I honed in on that on that moment. It's a second long moment that's played from the back again mm-hmm. by Joma. That uh, he and he, I think he just is still. But, but I just think that he, you know, he's probably over the moon internally that. F- finally she is and isn't uh, just waiting to die and so you know that was nice to have to have him around was nice because he brings veteran presence uh, Ken does very much a, a veteran he can make uh, so much out of uh, you know, so little really an, an odd sort of scene or two and uh, it seems like he's been in the film a lot longer than he actually has but you know is is that kind of a that kind of a, a talent so yeah and I'm glad they didn't go with the absentee father angle. Like, oh, I'm too busy for this. I got too much business to take care of. No, he, they really never did that. Uh, because that would have been an easy way, script way into drama, I think. Uh, they didn't They didn't make too much out of it. They just kind of, they kind of put the sort of, it out there, you know, the, the stepmother is sort of being in business. But they didn't sort of, they didn't belabor it. They didn't make too much of it. Exactly. You know? It's more about the, uh, the stepmother seeking acceptance, which yeah. he ultimately did. The intelligence there is that the stepmother isn't uh, you know, trying to be super liked immediately. She's uh, keeping her distance and trying to use the correct tactics to become an integral part of of the daughter's life. And you don't go all in your in her face uh, when there's actually uh, you know terminal illness on uh, mm-hmm. on display here so it's 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 nicely played chila chan appears as uh, a family lawyer of some kind i looked at that wait a minute that's that annoying chick from like prince of the sun <laughs> she <laughs> used to be a comedian akin to a sandra mm, of sorts you know that's what they used her for uh, prince of the sun is the conan lee uh, Cynthia Rothrock, uh, Lam yeah. Ching movie. Boy, is she annoying in that one. <laughs> it, it, it's a Wah! type of character. <laughs> but, uh, she, you know, just like Sandra, she uh, looks more than comfortable uh, performing in a, in a serious movie. And it's not like you're looking, looking at <laughs> looking at comedian trying cute. You know, you don't dismiss it. Obviously, you don't. So a little, little nod to her as uh, she appears in supporting the movie. And finally, uh, my note, this movie only received one nomination at the Hong Kong Film Awards, which was uh, Best New Artist for Charlene Choi, which I think is deserved. It kind of probably had trouble getting into all categories because this was the year of Shaolin Soccer. Mm-hmm. It was also the year of July Rhapsody, the Anne Hoi movie, that uh, she was nominated in the Best New Artist category against Karina Lam, 
which won for July Rhapsody. Uh, Karina Lam played the uh, student that seduces uh, Jackie Chung's character. So, yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, if you're going to lose to someone, why not Karina? Because that was a good performance, too. Yeah, good film. Good film. Uh, so, so yes, that's the end of my notes, buddy. So let's uh, do the availability. And uh, it's only been issued once, as far as I know, on Hong Kong DVD and VCD about 14, 15 years ago, you know, essentially at the time of... Uh, home video release the, the university video is now out of print and they're seemingly not going back into their back catalog to upgrade their titles uh, to better looking dvds or blu-rays it seems uh, quite absent uh, it, it's a shame because the dvd is somewhat rough looking on today's you know more bigger and high-tech displays but it gets the job done obviously so if you can find it for a reasonable price uh, it's um it's uh, the viewing option of uh, of choice so and then again, it has deleted scenes on it. If you understand Cantonese, you can get some enjoyment out of that. There's like a 15-minute reel of deleted scenes uh, from the movie. And to have extras on a Hong Kong DVD at that time was not super common, unless they were high-budget, um, rather high-profile title. Like Gen X Cops had a special edition DVD. And Shaolin Soccer had stuff on it as well. But um, you didn't expect it for each and every title that came out. Uh, right on, so that's us putting Funeral March to bed, so to say, and after the musical break, uh, we are going to uh, discuss Always On My Mind by director Jacob Chung, starring Michael Hoy, Josephine Xiao, and all of that, and guess what song is going to be played during the break? <laughs> is it Always On My Mind, or, or and by whom? Because they, they, this is a song covered by multiple artists, but uh, well, I'm, I'm pr- probably going to play it safe and extract it from the movie, because it's sung in the movie, so... Uh, so, uh, you Pet Shop Boys fan, I'm not going to play their version during this uh, musical break. So, Or Elvis fans, for that matter. So, uh, But uh, we'll uh, be right back after that musical break, so sit tight. Maybe I'll treat you Quite as good as I should have If I made you feel second best I am sorry I was lying You were always on my mind You were always... And welcome back in the second review of this uh, episode, Melodrama Season number 2, is of Always On My Mind from 1993, and plot from my review of the film. Newscaster Chang, played by Michael Hoy, receives the word that he's got terminal cancer and three months left to live. You can see the theme here of it's always cancer, isn't it? Um, (laughs) With these movies. Uh, He can't come to terms with the hard facts or tell the truth to his family, really, but an idea crops up. Uh, conveniently so that forces him um, to lie about having a disease uh, at all he says no 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 I don't no don't it was all it was all uh, misunderstanding and what that leads to um, is the following after hero- a heroic effort in apprehending a criminal that also is captured on tape that uh, that event uh, despite take, the police taking credit, Chang disproves them uh, on air and goes on a career path as the honest newsman with cancer ratings are up Heads are pleased uh, with the publicity and ratings, and since everyone, including his wife, Yin, played by Josephine Xiao, and his family, thinks everything is alright. You know, they just play along. But at the end of the three months, Chang is approaching the time when he uh, needs to make a decision of um, what to do and what to tell his family. Uh, so yes, for my brief opinion this time, uh, it is as concerned with social satire, uh, uh, you know, because M- Michael Hoy movies sometimes 
did concern themselves with that. Um, um, not every time, but you know, Chicken and Duck talk has some cool social satire, so there is that present in Noise on My Mind, but it's also concerned with heartache, and uh, director Jacob Chung brings, I think, quite an expert touch to this comedy drama. It's actually quite funny, but it is a drama too. Uh, Hoist skill is highlighted, and um, his humane level uh, to see him go from comedian to a more humane character that's as natural as anything and uh, it takes a known t- template to highly touching levels and uh, Josephine Xiao obviously corresponds to this as well and we get a sync sound recorded movie which is a major plus for its professional sort of uh, aura so I, like, I, I liked it quite a bit and they, the, if Funeral March wrecked me this one wrecked me by <laughs> by s- some of the short um, scenes uh, towards the latter half of the movie so uh, so, uh, what, what do you think is short of always on my mind? It's very sweet, it's charming, and it's it's, it's very touching as well. And it, uh, it manages the sort of inconsiderable sort of feat of not over, you know, manages to not oversell the drama or undersell the comedy. It strikes a very nice tone. It it, it does indeed. Uh, that that very much comes to uh, director Jacob Chung, you know, having a great grasp on this. Uh, I mean, this year, the year before, we had Cage Man done, which was yeah. a heavier movie in terms of uh, social commentary, long movie, but also sings down uh, award winner, and uh, so he was certainly on a roll. And uh, th- that issue of Sing Sound, that was still relatively rare in 1993. It started to crop up a little bit more often. Celavi uh, Moncherie was a case of it in 1994, but uh, whenever it did, obviously, that's such a professionalism because th- this movie intense a lot with its comedy drama and to a degree uh, social commentary and satire so to see characters that banter back and forth to see that in li- with live sound is just a, a relief you know and and we, and we don't don't see it nowadays really because now we, because the, the shooting movies with mandarin and cantonese cast and different kind of movies so it's all it's all glossy to hell but still post dubbed nowadays which is just the oddest uh, oddest thing so uh, uh save you the period where you had to sing sound kids um and, and and josephine i mean i love josephine to death i mean yeah. it's uh, so naturally engaging in scenes she's it almost looks like she's improving in the scene where she's talking to her son who's fixing the tv and she's trying to get a grasp on like how many girlfriends he has and what they're called <laughs> yeah. because they're, they're called similar things Carolyn and Catherine and Pauline and uh, <laughs> and to me I, I don't know what you feel David but uh, when, I, when I look at a scene like that Josephine might be following the script to a T who's, um, the script is by uh, James Yoon but to me it looks like free dialogue to me a little bit improv a little bit like, like okay tell do this in the scene tell this in the scene but you know it's yours so so go for it that's a distinct possibility. I mean, if anyone could do it, she's she's one of the you know actors or actresses that could do that. And and she could be broad. She obviously could be broad. Oh, yeah. You know, Fong Sai yeah. the same year was playing uh, oh, sure. her, yeah. the wacky mother uh, <laughs> and all of that. But uh, I've never seen her fail really. I mean, I might not remember all the uh, plain Jane movies um, that she did, but still, I mean, her success rate in terms of. Um, in terms of comedy and drama, I, I think it's, uh, you know, you don't question that. No, absolutely. 
Uh, but but my Michael though, I mean Michael Hoy, I'm sure you like uh, a variety of the Hoy brothers movies and Michael on his own, right? Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah. All all those uh, Private Eye, Security Unlimited with all the brothers, and obviously like the Chicken and Duck talk we mentioned, which I think is okay. They're all in it, but one only has a cameo out of the Hoy brothers. I, I see it as a Michael and uh, Ricky movie, but uh, I I think no one did. He had his mind set on talking of what goes on in society chicken and duck talk is about you know fast food getting a grip on our society and um, how you sort of go with those times Uh, he he looks very plain you know he looks like a guy so you you didn't expect him to be a wacky comedian but all that is a pro in terms of pros and cons when we see him taken down to humane levels here revert to more natural acting you know so he he, to me i don't know what you think but he to me he wasn't reliant on a persona as such uh, like this uh, uh, clown persona that's why to me it feels like the most natural thing in the world for me to see him as uh, a working father yeah i mean there's definitely i mean you've you've mentioned it already but there's a thread through sort of so many of his films you know he's obviously a very sort of gifted sort of comedian there's always kind of that element Mm-hmm. But there's, you know, like you said, there's in Chicken and Dactyl, there's sort of uh, the fast food. It's, you know, how it's affected to the traditional businesses there. Um, Such a funny fucking movie, that one. That yeah. It, in one of the you know the earlier Hoy Brothers films, uh, The Contract, is about sort of, you know, the nature of uh, nature of television. Front page was about, you know, was about the press. Uh, this is sort of, you know, TV, TV news. Do you think there's a valid uh, connection to Network? You think, if you're familiar with uh, Network, yeah, that movie, by? I think it's a, a fair, uh, a fair statement. He does show that sort of consistently that sort of you know, he likes fun. He likes to have a laugh in his, you know, in his in his work. You know, he's a, he's a, after all, you know, a very sort of you know natural comedian. But he doesn't feel doesn't shy away from you know if he has you know if there's something he wants to say or something he feels you know that he wants you know that he wants to say. It, you know, it, it'll put that in there too, and uh, you know, if find a way of you know, combining, the, you know, I wouldn't say necessarily the dark, but maybe maybe so in in, in this case. So. He might not have written it, but it seems very Michael Hoy at the same time that did, yeah. did, this could be an idea from him. But who knows? He might not be comfortable crafting, you know, the drama himself. So that that's why you got you know a writing and directing team to sort of push for that. But it's definitely drawn towards sort of um, films that aren't just a light and comic you know he's definitely drawn towards uh you know i mean i wouldn't even say serious just you know more kind of you know real life yeah well and, well yeah real life and, and local matters to to yeah, agree uh, yeah. too so it's been very successful in that regard and, and very funny it, and for, for for cinema in this case that it's like seeing the family interact the way they do in in the morning which is that's how days can start a little bit of chaos but no bad vibes and such you know mm-hmm. it's just a little bit of chaos the the, the children are a varied ages you know let's say one is six one is 14 one is 18 uh the the, the oldest daughter mind you she's getting married so maybe she's like 20 or something uh but uh, regardless that that's the sort of uh, spectrum and uh, it's also cinema to me that that comes to life through this natural interaction when it's just done right the back and forth especially in sync sound which is not easy to do. It's not as simple as just pointing and shooting your damn camera to to actors and they'll, they'll save me. It's it's cleverly put together because Jacob doesn't make this like 
look at me, I'm shooting dialogue back and forth, extended takes a little bit here and there. Like, I'm trying to make spectacle. No, not really. I mean, you you should sort of expect the k- director of Cage Man to have a natural eye for like straight shot interaction on screen. I don't know if you've seen Cage Man, so you know sort of the vibe that uh, he portrays in that one. It's rightly very well uh, regarded film, but it, the availability is not great, unfortunately. It isn't. It isn't. I mean, uh, Laserdisc and VCD, and that's that's the, then you're, otherwise you're shit out of luck yeah, for that one. So I'll, I'll set you up with it if you like. I'll record my Laserdisc for you if you like. But uh, it's you, you'll realize that this is not out of uh, place for Jacob, but definitely not. Yeah. And, uh, and at the same time, thankfully, because it is a comedy and drama, those two doesn't clash. It's not like. And, and and you'll get this. It's not like Mr. Boo gets cancer. You know, <laughs> uh, Mr. Boo was the name for uh, yeah. the Michael Hoy movies in Japan, essentially, which which sort of came back to Hong Kong as well because they did Mr. Boo meets Pom Pom and all of that. So uh, it, it was not um, Japan exclusive, if you will. But uh, I, I, li- I like Hoy's character. He he knows how to be present at work. He knows how to be present for his kids. And th- th- there's no buffoonery here. He he is a funny character, but there's no buffoonery here. He, he's yeah. uh, he's so in tune and uh, I, I love little like the sparks that uh, Michael and Josephine show um, mm. you know they, they, they talk about the kids relationships and uh, back and forth and then she gets annoyed at him for not asking her about her mood yeah. uh, but, but, but he sort of reverts back to well you told me not to ask you so yeah. uh, but he's not a dick he, but he, he's just quite confident that aha I got a zinger I can send her away now <laughs> um, and, and that banter I love I mean you know think of that sequence where they they um, they tag team parents right they run oh. back they run back and forth and yeah, yeah. trying to talk uh, yeah exactly <laughs> like, trying to talk the son out of well it looks like he's gonna jump from the building he's just you know, on top of the, on the roof, uh, contemplating stuff. So they're running back and forth. Like, what did you say? What advice did you give? But no, not that advice. That was wrong. I said that thing. <laughs> I think I've just started on Genesis or something. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that because it's uh, it, it will feed into the drama. And they chose that this is not a family in crisis mode or anything. It's just they, uh, this is what you deal with as parents, I suppose. And just to set up, set up the context and the feel for the listeners, if I ask you this, that as they run back and forth and tell each other, like, what did you tell the daughter? What did you tell the son? Blah blah blah. Does that feel like a comedy bit, or does it feel natural? You know, as natural part of the movie? Yeah, if if, if it was very natural, I mean, as a parent, and you know, with sort of you know talked over things with my own sort of kids, and you know, and. Uh, me and my wife, we we have gotten together and compared notes. What did you say? How did you say? It? You know, it's it's very uh, that's very realistic. I think certainly, certainly. I mean, in my experience, at least, anyway. And 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 then they're exhausted. And then they're exhausted on the stairs afterwards. <laughs> it's kind of played for humor, but that sort of parents getting together and conferring, and so they present like a united front. It's 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 very uh, that's very realistic. I think. You might not have belly laughs as such this movie, but that is still very funny and very amusing. Yeah. So I, I think Jacob never goes for the gags here, really. Yeah. Uh, he, he goes for you know light-hearted banter, and that might be funny, but no, no gags as such. And um, Jacob never really was a comedy director as such, so it, it makes sense that he preferred it this way. It just kind of lets the situations, the performances, kind of un- unfold, and they, you know, they 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 speak for themselves, really, you know. And yeah, it fe- the, the 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 social commentary that 
is nothing new, but it, it's it's more than valid. Is that uh, you know at the TV station they they change corporate heads so often that uh, you know the new ones have no context or relationship with any of the workers prior, so they just make cold decisions like uh, you know get the old out and get some new blood in instead. So I mean he, he's on the verge of being um, of being terminated from his position. So, mm-hmm. um, but obviously, they see an advantage once he gets cancer, or what they think is. Uh, uh, I forget if he lied to them, or not if he lied to the heads as well. But regardless, it, it, it is a con, and they they just go away with it for for the ratings. Like we well, got the reporter who says says it like it is, and he's got cancer. Um, so it's it's cold corporate uh, thinking in a way. Uh, to um, what else? Uh, well, well, the whole family too. Uh, it, it's a key point because while he is sick, yes, the family is also in transition. You know, one is getting married, one is contemplating school in Canada. The wife is uh, has said that she's got a job now, and now is it's a lot, and now he's sick too. And um, w- one part of like he, you know he doesn't tell them obviously, and, and w- one part of like. How do I say this? He he initially tries to say that there might be something wrong, and it's probably the, more, the most pitch black humor in the whole movie that the the family kind of shrugs it off that he hints at that I might have cancer because he has a history of that he might be a hypochondriac. <laughs> so <laughs> and he's told them different stuff throughout the evening. It says like there's like one eighth chance that I've got cancer. He's told like another person it's like one fifth chance. So they all sort of like yeah whatever. Uh, you know, they leave him at the di- dinner table and all of that. So, uh, uh, and even Michael Hoy breaks the fourth wall, like ranting and raving about it. it's so unfair. I've been a good boy, but but neither of that is my point, David. Is the movie for me? It, it's funny, but it doesn't stray. Like it, it doesn't make the drama sort of like what's this? I thought it was a comedy. Like what's this? I thought you were talking about funny stuff, like being a good boy in the eyes of Jesus and uh, wanting to make the Andy Lau concert and the Aaron Kwok concert but not making the Jackie Chan concert or whatever it was because that's the third month but uh, I think why it doesn't stray in my opinion you can have a take on it if you like uh, or extend some points you've made that Michael is more than ready to drop the angry persona because he's angry at one point and just uh, let the sort of reali- uh, realization sink in, uh, sink in. You know, it, it it just works when when he when he he himself just, just sort of calms down and realizes that I'm in trouble here. So and I've got three months. But but that 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 isn't Jacobs and or Michael stopping for a movie moment either. To do it's just Michael just shoot Michael being a little bit resigned, and you'll get that he he knows that something's up. Uh, which obviously leads to he's got nothing to lose. So there's a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit more comedy about like, well, sky's the limit, <laughs> you know. So so so, so yeah, I I I never think it uh, the, the flip flop uh, dramatically and comedically starts to make ill sense or anything. Uh, no, uh, it's not all comedy and it's all drama. It, you know, it puts them, it puts them together. It's just he said he's diagnosis he knows he's ill but he's still still a family man he's still a working man he's still trying to keep those sort of balls in the air and do all the kind of things that you would need to be doing anyway he's just suffering from a you know potentially fatal illness as well you know but he's still trying to do all these sort of be a be a regular guy and you know be a husband and be a father it's also about securing futures which um yeah, yeah. which I, I think brings up the talking point of the movie if he's uh him going along with it and his wife 
going along with it because she she thinks that the cancer is the lie anyway so he's healthy if that is if if he's as bad as the corporate heads wanting to have ratings and if he's on the wrong side of being ethical and for me i mean it never really does anything truly horrible and it seems like he's not getting like millionaire rich on this anything he you know he's got a healthy salary but he's putting that into his future so he's willing to go along with you know dubious ethical thing of actually yeah. li- lying to the public which he is doing you know he's uh, he's, yeah, he's, he's a straight shooter that uh, that has uh, cancer but uh, only you know he plays it like he hasn't uh, yeah. inside so i don't know what you thought of that was that the troubling signs that he's uh, as bad as the corporate heads uh, wanting ratings and exposure and stuff no, I mean, I think there's a scene where he's talking about, you know, uh, earning money or he kind of has the attitude of sort of, um, you know, there's things he's got to do. And then he just sort of, you know, is 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 quite matter of fact. This is what he kind of, you know, wants slash needs to do. And, he's, you know, he doesn't sort of, uh, that's that's kind of the way, he's, the way he sees it. It's just like, you know, I've got to do what I've got to do sort of. Yeah, it, it's certainly not not as dark as as network was. I mean, the the premise of no. network was obviously this guy is going insane and but and he's telling the unfiltered truth on TV. Let's exploit that. If you know how network ends, that that it's it, that that's not where always on my mind goes. No. You know, if, no, uh, no. You know, thankfully that would have been a Hong Kong movie, all right? Like let's <laughs> let's be violent all of a sudden. Yeah. His pessimism, he, he plays up that a little bit, uh, the Michael Hoy character, because he talks this girl down off, off the ledge. But he sort of says, like, well, I, I kind of agree on you. I mean, there's no future in anything any, anyway. So, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. But it's not like he causes a death or anything, uh, you know. So when all is said and done, he's extracted money from a from a corporation that truly wanted to extract money from you know public and advertisers and all of that so i suppose he was playing the game it's sort of there's quite a sort of a pragmatic attitude about it did you uh, by any chance uh, pick up on the fact that our director makes a cameo as uh, as director jacob chung jacob chung plays director jacob chung uh, I think I did spot him. Yeah. Oh, wow. Because he, uh, they, what they do, it, it's sort of throwaway, but it's funny that the, the whole scenario where he, um, where he becomes a hero and like uh, knocks out the bad guy in the haunted house. Um, yeah. That they make into a movie already, like a, a week oh. afterwards, and they meet the director and they say, "What's your name?" It's written in so small, such more lettering, and he says, "It's, it's Chung Chilung." And that's Jacob. That's Jacob himself on the screen making a movie about what went on in the haunted house, starring the Michael Hoy character. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, okay, okay, hold on. How meta is this? Because I think I'm gonna lose my lose my mind. Real life wasn't that. That wasn't the case. That Michael was sick, so he made a movie about his sickness, and he wasn't a newscaster in real life. So, but it's sort of like mighty confusing. Like they're inception man <laughs> like I'm, I'm confused but yeah uh, jacob stops by for a little uh, for a little cameo it's all fun they're going along with it they're, they're attending like uh, parties and all of that but those switches to when the sickness really comes over the michael hoy character which is the latter stages of the movie therefore it's going to queue up more dramatic content but looking how that switches uh david for me it looks criminally simple to, yeah. for, for Michael to just sort of got a tummy ache and I, I need to excuse myself, but that surely isn't simple to pull off, right? Yeah, look, I, I remember that scene uh, specifically. It's sort of you're sort of painfully aware of what that 
means. Like I said, it looks simple. It, it's maybe not to sort of uh, to play that and to, to have it be effective the way it is. It's, it's, it's not simple, but, you know, it kind of makes it look simple. That's quite a sort of a pivotal pivotal moment and he just sort of you know because he's in a public setting too so he needs to have his two faces on and now and and therefore he needs to run away quite quickly to not reveal any the lies that he has cancer yes but it's not they don't want to catch that on camera necessarily look at him he's in pain so man you can kind of see you know you're at this sort of shot i think in the sort of back garden or something he's kind of just inside inside the door and he just kind of it's kind of sitting down almost on on the floor, but you can you can see him there, and then the you know in the back of the shot you can see it, sort of everyone outside, you know, you know going about the the usual kind of business of sort of a, you know a TV production. So it's just sort of it it just shows the two the two the two parts of that scene, and it's very sort of a... and 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 the ticking clock that's obviously yeah, a, a factor, yeah. and he he even like as he slumps down you know he even you know randomly sees a photo of presumably his family or his kid and he sort of picks that up it's a subtle moment it's not again the movie stopping for ah looking at my kid and the score nope not at all that's not what jacob does but he gets the effect through and even if you don't pick up on it it's not like the movie's gonna go fly over your head emotionally boy it won't (laughs) if i have a favorite scene and I mean, it wrecked me. I, I can, I can admit, I, I can admit that I'm old. I can admit stuff. I, I have nothing to lose. <laughs> Not that I was macho or anything before, but I think it's it's beautifully played. After the the daughter finds uh, the X-rays that clearly show that something is wrong, you know, yeah. she can interpret that. And the the scene that follows is a pre-wedding uh, photo session where they're in full outfits and. She can't crack a smile at this point as she stands next to her um, her husband to be. I mean, she she is distraught, but she's trying to. She's trying to, um, and I really should name drop her. So bear with me uh, if that was indeed yes. Uh, the actress is Cherry Chan, who plays the uh, eldest daughter Sue. They, they are beautiful moments because who? It's not easy to fake a smile when something that like that has struck you and. Uh, you realize you realize probably exactly that you have little to no time left with your father and it's you know she comes through michael comes through in the scene because when they are to stand in a photo together uh, i know i'm breaking down the scene bit by bit but i think it's important because and i want to gush uh, about the filmmaking in in place here they they're, they're first sort of set up together as uh, father and daughter um the first photo setup. Um, she, I love how she clings on to him first. Yeah, and then she asks such a heartbreaking question because he's kind of been hot, not half against the marriage, but he's sort of been sneering at uh, her husband to be being this musician. Which earlier in the movie, Sue says, "Well, well, Sam Hoy was successful. <laughs> no, <laughs> being a musician, says, ah, meta breaking the fourth wall a little bit, if you will, but." Um, she says to her father, would you be happier if I didn't marry him? Yeah. Uh, because she just wants to ensure he's happy. And yeah. if I don't marry him, I'll ensure that happiness. And he, he is not ready to sort of break uh, to break the con, so to say, and let everybody know that anyone is on, on to him. And, and obviously the second setup where she's standing behind him and clinging on to him, that is just, you know, a daughter who just doesn't want her daddy to go away. And that's yeah. if... <clears throat> that uh, he he's he's playing that in relatively few takes as well. I think before they go into that second setup with the chair, I think Jacob is doing that in 
pretty much one take. He's doing a little bit of handheld thing and following them into the chair. You should leave actors in uninterrupted sometimes. Because it is uh, just her coming through. Michael coming through as the most natural dramatic actor in the world. And yeah. all those characteristics we've, we've established, he's established that he is not ready to let the world know that everything's going on. But he's also being the father and ensuring that please don't cry and I uh, bought you these tickets and go on a great honeymoon and be happy. So he's uh, he's being the po- he's trying to be the positive force, but he's not condemning the fact, obviously, that his daughter is distraught. He's just... That scene feels really fresh. It doesn't feel like they went over it like again and again. It feels like they just kind of... We get, we, we get like one or two shots at this uh, before it turns stale, possibly. It kind of it didn't overwork it. It felt it felt it felt it felt real. Yeah, I, I think the good choice. I mean, no, normally handheld seems like a lazy choice, but I think the good choice to keep it as. I might go back to the scene because I think it's quite a fa- fairly long un- un- uninterrupted take, at least before anyone else comes in, because there's a big family photo at the end of the scene too. At least while it's just them, Michael and uh, and Sue. I, I think it's just one uninterrupted take and Jacob shooting it handheld and letting the moment yeah. play. And I think it's um, it, it is really fresh because it, it didn't feel like regular regular old melodrama moment or anything. No. Um, no. Especially since he's trying to just, I'm trying to set up things and yeah. you should be happy. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's tough, man, for, for anyone, parent or not, uh, and yeah. uh, anyone affected by this, unfortunately. Um, but if it doesn't wreck you, you're a robot. It just felt really sort of genuine, and uh, that's a big thing in in the in the film as a whole. You know, there are people you f- you feel you know them, you believe in them. You know, you you kind of want, you know, you want the best of them. You want the best sort of outcomes mm-hmm. for them. You know, that's a that's a nice sort of between the the script, the director, and of the you know the cast. That's a real kind of uh, that's a real kind of tribute that they've all managed to sort of all, all all come together and sort of you know create this this thing where you know you. You sort of believe in these characters, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, they, they, they're likable and they're also, they don't feel like movie characters that connect to the tropes of the genre. Uh, if anything, that scene just uh, sits on its own island and uh, did, yeah. did it marvelously. Even uh, in the, the, the final scene between Josephine and Michael as they, I, I, I love it. I, I think it's charming, it's funny, uh, because he's resigned from the TV station after that big speech. About uh, you know how media affects you, and uh, you yeah. listen to us, but you shouldn't listen to us. It, that's when you de- definitely see the network connection. Even though, again, it's not playing along the same like dark agendas uh, as network did. Um, but uh, regardless, uh, uh, Josephine and Michael's seen uh, by the harbor, which I'm sure is like location spotting for you. Ah, I've been there, been there, totally been there. <laughs> I recognize that part of the harbor. Uh, but even if not, their, their chemistry really shines through because they have a dinner date, but they don't eat dinner, they share oranges together. And uh, that's rather, rather effing cute. And uh, yeah. it, it's beautiful because Josephine plays it realistically, being that, yes, she wants to have a nice time, but she has recently found out that he did have cancer. And who wouldn't be emotional despite sharing you know a nice time together and despite the husband trying to like yeah well yeah, i got a cruise here for you and uh, and uh, even if there's only one of us left you can get twenty eight thousand back and she breaks <laughs> down and says well why can't we yeah. go now instead well i got my operation so it's oh, oh that balance could have gone so wrong as well if they yeah. didn't get the mix of 
him trying to like, well, come on, come on, man. I, I mean, you get twenty eight thousand Hong Kong dollars back, man. Like you're set. If I don't, if I don't go, if I've already went, ha ha. <laughs> One of the things that really helps that scene, but you know, the film, uh, you know, in its entirety as well, is that they're kind of Michael Hoy and uh, you know Josephine uh, Zhao. Uh, they're kind of pretty much contemporaries. They're sort, you know, they were in. You know, coming through in in sort of you know cinema in the same sort of time frame, they're probably broadly similar ages, and they sort of you know it's a very credible sort of on-screen couple. I don't know if they've done many movies together, to be honest, but no. but, but they sure get on. If they didn't make that many films, you know, if, if there's any more than this this one, but they're definitely sort of you know contemporary sort of performers. You know, they're in the same sort of you know period of time in in sort of local films, and that's. Uh, and, and both comedy performers uh, too, to a degree. So uh, it, it, it's just nice to see that well, we, we we got some stuff, people, that we can offer up now. Like, yeah, we're funny, but we can do this too. Uh, Jacob Chung, the, uh, the director. Uh, the rest of the cast are all uh, really good too. I don't think there's a weak uh, a weak performance performance in it. No, but... no, no even those uh, supporting uh, TV new co- newscasters get gets little moments, including a very young Simon Loy. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. But as a, as a couple, I think they're in, as characters and as uh, you know, as, as actors, as actors and actresses, McCoy and uh, Josephine Seale, they're uh, they're for me at least, they're the kind of the heart of the film. You know, just you know, everything sort of they're such a sort of you know a great sort of unit, and there's a great sort of uh, larger kind of family unit. It's just sort of uh, it's very it's very believable, very very realistic. It is uh, without being like um, un cinematic you know yeah, because they're, they're exactly. not shooting a documentary exactly. yeah um what do you think um we, we, we'll talk of how the movie ended on another video version but um we don't see him being wheeled into the operation uh, room or anything but we, we see the, the media and the, the advertising horse uh gathering around the hospital like like come to our hosp- hospital and come to our hospital and uh use our insurance like su- such disgusting fucking people that yeah. uh, turn up at that place and believe me i don't think that's far-fetched no uh, satire i think pe- people want to take advantage of in the most ill-timed ways sometimes but regardless it, it ends with the family waiting in the um in the in the waiting room and gets a note from from their father which says simply that i love you very much and then it mm. cuts to the um, montage of photos of the family and the wedding always on my mind is on the soundtrack and then cut to credits and the reason i'm telling that all of that is i want to ask you the, um what do you prefer in your mind slash what do you think happened do you think you survived the operation based on how the movie is edited now as it's edited i it suggests he doesn't do, do, do you prefer it that way or, or not that way it's probably more realistic, and um, it's like there's a sort of a there's kind of a parallel in in some ways with Sailor Moon Cherie is that they kind of don't show you kind of you kind of know it's probably well well you know definitely but in Sailor Moon Cherie but they yeah, don't show it yeah yeah but they don't, they, it's not sort of on screen comparative sort of subtlety I, I I I like that you know it's not you don't need to show it you don't need to see it you can sort of you can tell the story without sort of don't have to you don't have to hammer it home you just sort of you know you can you can you can put it out there and you know and people can take from it what what they will but it, you don't need to sort of show everything you can sort of we 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 it's certainly a coda it's designed as it's supposed to end now um, you know uh, with the notes family gathered and um, and the montage and it just feels like well it wasn't 
you know, the most tragic goodbyes because they established so much memories together, certainly established uh, his family financially and all of that. I mean, there are a lot of kids to support for for the pending future and uh, the future that's obviously coming up with the youngest kids eventually growing up. So in my mind, he, the operation, the 50-50 operation was... Um, was something he did not uh, survive, and but but I like that the movie says that. Well, make of that what you will. He has a nice montage, and uh, having uh, the song always on my mind, uh, obviously sung in English. And uh, I had to look this up because I heard it once, but I never confirmed it because I'm I'm lazy that way. <laughs> so someone said at one point, uh, which I could say why. So credit to whoever did it. Um, that the one singing that particular version of Always on My Mind is actually UFO founder or co-founder and acclaimed director Peter Chan. I, I looked at the credits because there's a big credit at the top of the movie, uh, song credit. You can see Always on My Mind and then some Chinese letters and names and Peter Chan's name is in there. So oh. I'm thinking that's probably close to truth. A very uh, like stripped down, almost a cappella version of um, Always on My Mind, which was... Um, According to my research, because I didn't know, uh, originally done by Gwen McRae and Brenda Lee, but obviously popularized by Elvis, Pet Shop Boys, and so forth. Like, like I said, it's a song that's covered throughout uh, throughout the decades. Uh, oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, so to have those wonderful photos and that song sending us out and into credits, I think is is the suitable choice. And in my mind, it seems like the father did indeed uh, pass away, but he left uh, his family safe and secure. Because uh, yeah. the, the movie doesn't suggest that they're going to crash and burn now or anything. Life goes on. Yeah, yeah. it's a nice tribute to memories uh, yeah. as you move on. I have some further notes, uh, some minor notes, and including one um, about how the movie ended on another version of the movie uh, uh, earlier in the release life. But uh, let me throw back to you. Anything else you want to say uh, either from uh, beginning, middle, or end of the movie? No, I think we've we've co- covered pretty much all uh, all the points I've uh, I've made notes of. Yeah, cool. Pretty. Well, uh, was it a rewatch by any chance? Oh yeah, yeah. I've not I've not seen it in. Uh, I think not only like a like a year or two. I think maybe it's a good film to to revisit revisit now and again. You know, I've seen it a few times now, and I know, you know I know what happens, but it still manages to sort of uh, to kind of catch you unawares. You know, to yeah. sort of. The sort of the, the emotion of it, it just it does, it does get to you. you know? I absolutely agree. And as for the other ending of the movie, I I'm not sure if the DVD is cut or if the movie played with an additional four or five minutes in, in the cinema. But it certainly turned up on the Mayar Laserdisc of the movie. Uh, we we got the montage, la, 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 always on my mind, and then we have another scene where he lives. The operation was successful. And it's a four or five minute scene of uh, aftermath uh, rehabilitating at home, you know, that aftermath. And uh, it's a more lighter scene, you know, uh, they, um, you know, he has to go to the, he, he speaks on the phone to someone and he says like, well, they took out part of my intestines, so I have to go to the bathroom a lot more uh, uh, nowadays. But it's all, it's all good. And I've got a new job lined up and uh, it um, also touches on uh that running not gag but running uh, train of thought that the youngest one has in in like two or three scenes she comes into her mother and says i know where i came from now and she whispers to her mother <laughs> uh, no that's not right and in this extended scene she does that again and whispers and she gets it right 
because uh, the father now realized that life is short has said it flat out to her what happened you know so he's, he essentially says well she's not too young for sex education so why not why not tell her so they, they that's nice to play off and uh, they also have a little bit more comedic banter back and forth about um, because michael's character says well now that i lived uh, can we transfer back all my money from your bank account to mine <laughs> She says she, she's stubborn. She they're playful, but she's stubborn. No, not gonna do that. And uh, she's also changed all the hiding places for the bank books that they talked about in the movie, like uh, hidden, oh, yeah, yeah. hidden in the closet, okay. in the second drawer, underneath the floorboard, blah blah blah. And she says, "Well, I've, I've changed all the hi- hiding places now." So, uh, <laughs> so they're, they're kind of you know they're back on track. Uh, the problem here is the movie is structured, you know, with the note, "I love you very much," the ending song. And then to add four or five minutes on top of that doesn't really work. It's sort of yeah. like, well, but the movie was over, wasn't it? Okay, yeah. so we need to see. It doesn't feel like an ending. It feels like an extended bonus, which is, again, I, I can't confirm whether it played into cinemas this way. I can understand that they shot an alternate, right? Yeah, I mean, I understand why they make you know extra bits like that for you know alternative endings or, or, or whatever, whatever it was used for. But, you know, people do... Die, you know, if, you know, people will go into operations and they, and they don't come out of them. No, that's probably to show it in those in the version that they did, did, you know, that is on DVD. It's sort of, it's probably more realistic. Yeah, you know? it it just sort of messes a little bit with uh, the the beats you expect out of an ending. Like, well, yes, there are codas to movies, but here are like four or five extra minutes that doesn't feel really necessary, to be honest. Uh, it's quite. I mean, the ending is is is, is on the DVD. It's quite, you know, I think quite sort of strongly implies that he doesn't he, he doesn't make it. So to sort of you know to shift the tone, uh, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't it wouldn't work. It wouldn't mm-hmm. work for me. Yeah, you know? I, I I agree. And I mean, um, it, it's just um, they didn't they don't show it under credits either. So it's an extra added bit. I mean, it's enjoyable to see them all interact, but yeah. uh, I, I I didn't need it. So I'm glad. Regardless of how it played in the cinemas, so if you saw it in 1993 at Christmas, nonetheless, so do do tell us if you know. And uh, you 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 had some notes uh, whether whether this was a a successful movie or not because uh, I I didn't see any box office returns. So uh, what did you look up in terms of in terms of that? It did it did uh, pretty well, I think. Uh, some in the region of sort of 10 to 15 million Hong Kong, um, not huge maybe, but it's, it's certainly a solid hit. I mean. I think these days did sort of pretty much kill for sort of that kind of a yeah, yeah. box office for a local film. So, but yeah, certainly a solid hit, and it's uh, it's it's still still out there and still available. So, it does have uh, does seem to have an enduring uh, enduring appeal. Absolutely, and and uh, speaking of um, uh, the afterlife uh, box office and awards, it was nominated for three: uh, best picture, best screenplay, and best actress for Josephine. Surprisingly, none for Michael Hoy. And while this was the year for Salavi Moncherie, it was the same award ceremony for as for Salavi Moncherie, and they took on most of the, award, the awards. Did Lao Ching Wan really need to have two nominations in the Best Actor category? <laughs> he was nominated for Salavi Moncherie and the horror comedy Thou Shalt Not Swear, which I don't remember being a standout performance or anything. It was a fun movie, but uh, you 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 wonder like throw Michael Hoyer bone. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, uh, speaking of nominated against um, himself, Josephine was nominated nominated against herself uh, for this movie and for Fong Sayok the same year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but she lost out to Anita Yun for Selavi Moncherie, and that's again, it's hard to argue against because uh, yeah. Anita really did something special, and uh, being a new actress and all of that is nice to award uh, 
someone young that does special work. And uh, as for availability, the Asia video DVD of the um, beautifully looking restored print is still available for as little as 10 US dollars. Uh, there's no extra, extras, but um, I'm, I was glad to see it in print. The standard definition print still holds up. And um, as David informed me, there is actually a Blu-ray box set of the sort of latter-day Michael Hoy produced uh, movies. Not the, you know, the big one, Private Eyes, Security Unlimited, but all those Chicken and Duck Talk, Front Page, Magic Touch, Mr. Coconut, and this. Whether or not they change up the ending on the blue, I can't say. I'm going by gut feeling that it's it's going to be the same as the DVD because the materials are coming from Hoy's production companies. I don't think they squeezed in the alternate ending in the movie i don't know if there's an extra on there with the alternate ending who you know i don't know if they knew about that and could locate that but um i'd rather them keep keep it as an extra if it is on there so um so 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 if you pick it up when you go to hong kong then uh pop that disc in as soon as, as soon as you can <laughs> yeah uh, cool, my friend. Uh, we uh, are going to conclude this really soon, but uh, next time is the, um, the other conclusion, and that is of this melodrama season, where we go back to Derek Yee and his sort of uh, new millennium comeback vehicle, Lost in Time, starring Cecilia Chung, Lao Ching Wan, and a dead Louis Koo. Even when he's dead, he gets to be in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a spoiler, because that, that happens uh, early in the movie. It's the point of the plot, period. So, he, he appears in flashback throughout the movie, but yes, Louis Koo is in every movie alive or dead. So, <laughs> even in 2002 or whatever. And also, we go back to another terminal beauty drama, which is a phrase that John Charles used in one of his reviews uh, talking of these kind of movies. And it's uh, Kelly Chen who's diagnosed with cancer, but is surrounded by positivity. And Michael Wong as a Scotsman in <laughs> Lost and Found. I can assure you, he's not doing an accent. He's got Scottish heritage, but is still Michael Wong. In that one and in all honesty it's one of his best performances very warm and likable michael Wong, you know and it makes sense he speaks english in it too he's part <laughs> he's part scottish so so he's not uh he's not uh, uh trying on <laughs> trying on uh some character acting with different accents or anything thank god because uh i love michael but he he shouldn't stretch you know <laughs> uh so that, n- nothing to make fun of in that movie i'm gonna make sure no one makes fun of michael as we do that episode but uh, but yeah, David, good, good, fun to have you back on. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't have you back on again, but I was glad to rope you in for these particular movies. So uh, thank you very much. No problem. And uh, we are going to conclude this, uh, therefore, with some brief contact information. This is Podcast on Fire on the Podcast on Fire Network. Our shows, the variety of them, the, the, the various kinds, are available on that site, along with bonus episodes. If you have any questions or feedback about these movies, Michael Wong's Scottish Heritage in Movies, or other topics, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Discuss, uh, or rather, follow the handy buttons. At the top of our website, to our Facebook presence, to our Twitter feed, to our iTunes feed, and to our Stitcher radio presence. Uh, either use their website to stream us, or use their applications available on the Apple App Store or Google Play to stream us on the go. And I write about the variety of Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies, melodramas, or not-so-melodramas over at SoGoodReviews.com. And I video review at SleazyKVideo.com, and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And Hong Kong Gig Guide is available on... Facebook, is it an easy, uh, have you crafted an easy address uh, to, it, uh, to it that you can plug right now? 
Yeah, I mean, it pretty much just that you, you can just put that in the in the search, and it'll uh, it'll be the top thing that pops up. So. Well, we'll uh, put that uh, link in the show post, and uh, for so your work, your work certainly will live on as we've uh, established and all of that. So, uh, so yeah, I've been Kenobi, and with me was Hong Kong Dave. Soon do to uh, arrive in Hong Kong, so I'm gonna let him go to let him pack his uh, bag <laughs> for all his Blu-rays and shit that he's gonna buy, uh, buy <laughs> yeah. over, about box sets of and crap like that. Thank God you're not a laser disc collector, my friend. Because oh, wow. that would be like. A workout going to the airport and, <laughs> and, and, and getting dodgy material through customs and yeah, <laughs> all true, of that. Yeah. Uh, but f- thank you very much, David, and, uh, and uh, we'll uh, see you hopefully uh, hopefully soon on another ep. Uh, so thank you guys for Melodrama uh, for attending Melodrama season two, and we'll be back uh, next week with part three. Mm-hmm.